Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Um, so we've been in Acts, Acts chapter 14. We've been talking about patterns. Do you remember that? Okay, patterns, patterns. We've been talking about ministry patterns that we should be establishing. And we've talked about them in terms of corporate patterns. And we've been talking about them as individual patterns in our life. And when we, when we say that, what we mean is we can look at Paul's life and we recognize that he's an ensample for the New Testament Christian. We can look at, at, the, at the Word and we can see his testimony and we can hear what he tells us, that he, he wants to be a mold, an ensample for our lives to know how we should do New Testament ministry in this world. And as we look to his model, uh, we, can, uh, we can attain a, philo- a philosophy and a perspective on how to do ministry, how to do evangelism, how to reach our world. And we as a ministry, as Kaya, have, have taken that. We've adopted a, a Pauline perspective on missions and ministry. And we're applying it the way that we know how to do here in Kansas City. And so we're doing FOI. We're on college campuses. Uh, we're in workplaces all over the city. We have neighborhood Bible studies. We have campus Bible studies. Um, we're, we're talking about creation to Christ. And we have all of these, these stratagems in place so that we can fulfill the ensample that's been handed down to us. And so we're doing the very best we can to do that. We're, we're, we're full of faith that God's going to use us. But then each and every one of you individually is going to have your own particular pattern that you establish, people in your sphere of influence that you're reaching out to, that you're evangelizing, that you're investing love and time and energy and in prayer, and you're investing in those people that you might draw them into discipleship relations. And we talked about uh, uh, relationships, and, and we talked about how that when that runs its course, you're going to come into enemies, and you're going to face people who are opposing you, and you're going to recognize the enemy for who he is, and you're going to dust the, 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 the dust off your feet, and you're going to move on, and you're going to repeat that pattern over and over again. Does this make any sense? You, you, you heard that, right? Um, and so, <clears throat> what we learned is that repetition is necessary for reproduction. All right? And I don't want to, you know, there's a lot of illustrations I could use for that. But repeti- the more you repeat something, the more likely it's going to take. All right? Not every seed that you sow is going to take. It's not going to necessarily grow every single time you throw a seed down. Okay? But you're responsible for casting seed over and over and over again, knowing that in time that some of that will produce. Right? And we've got to trust that that's what God wants to do in us. Now, Paul and Barnabas are faithfully doing that in Acts chapter 14. And there were some physical threats on their life in Iconium. And so they head over to Lystra, and we've got a map here. Okay, we've come, we've come a long ways in a short period of time. They, get, they got kicked out of Antioch of Pisidia. That didn't go real well. Um, but there were some disciples made. Uh, there were some disciples made in Iconium, actually, as well, because we're going to see that they're going to go back to Iconium to follow up here uh, not too, too long from now. But now they're in Lystra and Derby, And this is where they're spending their time in terms of ministry, and that's where we're going uh, to be today. Now today we're going to be looking at a series of events. Some of it's kind of strange, but it'll be fun. 
This is a good story. I really like this story. In fact, the story that we're entering into is actually part of the very first message I ever preached in Kaya at the retreat. Right? This is where we were at at the very first retreat I was at. I don't know if you remember that. So people are like, no, I don't remember that. <clears throat> Whatever, man. Um, but this is where we were, and I, I really love this story. I, I love what's about to unfold. There's a lot to learn here. But today we're going to ask ourselves a, que- a couple questions. Can we do that? We just need to focus a little bit. I think we need to focus, don't we? Like, my emotions are everywhere. My mind's everywhere. I'm sure yours are too. Let's focus a little bit. we got a couple uh, questions we need to ask. The first one is, where do I place my faith? Where do I place my faith? Very simple question, isn't it? Come on. I mean, where do I place my faith and where do I direct my praise? Now, obviously, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time, I taught student ministry, and whenever you asked a question, the answer to every question, the safe answer, was always what? Yeah, it's the safe. Well, if, you, if you use that answer here, you're actually going to be absolutely right. Okay? So I'm, you've got the answer before we've even begun, but I want you to hold your horses a little bit because there's more to it than just that. Whenever you can give the pat answer, um, it's, it's easy to acknowledge things from a spiritual perspective, but it's a completely different thing in practice, isn't it? You can know the answer to something, but not, absol- not actually know how to use it in, a day, in day-to-day settings. This is never more true than it is in, in high school algebra. Okay, so for me, I felt like all of high school algebra was me learning formulas and how to do things that in normal life I would never actually be able to employ. That's how I felt. Now, that was probably just the way it was taught to me. Um, but but I, I, I felt like, well, no, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now, and I could not tell you one of those formulas. I could, I, I have no idea, and, and how to use them, I have no idea. Um, I have some basic geometry, so when I'm doing carpentry, I know how to do a little math. I'm doing, you know, I know how to measure things, and I, I can, I, th- I think I can figure out the radius of something. There's a few things I know how to do, but um, ultimately, I don't know anything, I don't know anything, uh, because I never, I never saw how something computed day to day. I didn't understand how things work day to day. And so when you give the pat answer, Jesus, well, that doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you know how to live it. And so we're going to ask these questions. Where do I place my faith and where do I direct my praise? We're going to learn both of those things from the story that we're about to enter into. We're going to pray and we're going to get right into it into verse 8. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we need you. Again, we need you. Um, I, I, first, I want to pause right here, Lord, and just say how thankful I am to you. <clears throat> for everything that you've done in my life. And when I hear uh, Pastor Sam's testimony, I'm reminded of the intricacy of how you work in our lives and the complexity and how little we understand in the moment of anything. Like, uh, we don't understand anything about why you want to send Natalie back to Hong Kong. Like hardly at all. We, we're just completely baffled. We were baffled by Nick and Hannah's circumstances, completely befuddled. And there's, there's situations like that all over this ministry and this fellowship, friends who are hurting and confused, and we have all these questions. And ultimately, Lord, we, we have to know that you're just at work. Like, that has to be sufficient for us, that you're doing something. And we can believe, because we've put our faith in you, 
And, uh, and so, Lord, help us to learn that afresh today from the testimonies and all of the experiences of this Sunday morning. Uh, and, and, Lord, what we're about to study here in, in Acts chapter 14. Be with us and speak through me. Um, I feel a little uh, just hazy and overwhelmed. And so I, I need you to speak. And, and so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, where honor is due is the name of today's message. We're going to start by talking about how Paul was used to heal a certain man at Lystra. Acts 14, verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked in his whole life. And the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now this story, actually, if you remember... Uh, from our previous studies in Acts, is actually reminiscent of another healing. In Acts chapter 3, Peter heals a man who's been lame since birth. And, it, and actually, there's parts of the story that parallel so seamlessly. And I want to take this as, a, as an opportunity to remind you that there is a handing off of responsibilities taking place in Acts as a transitionary book. We have to remember that, that Peter was the apostle to the Jews early on in the book, but there's been a slow transition taking place, and God's emphasis in terms of ministry is turning away from the Jews and towards the Gentile people, and he wants to use Paul to do that. And so at some level, it's important for God to use Paul to replicate some of the early ministry things that Peter was doing as a sign that Paul is now the man. Does this make sense? So there's a bit of a handing off taking place here. And if we remember back to our, our story, the man in Acts chapter 3 was also referred to as a certain man, right? And so we see those types of, of, of situations. And, and in fact, the same way Paul is looking at this man, Peter it talks explicitly about how Peter made eye contact with this guy uh, that he healed. And, and it's just this powerful story. And in Acts chapter 3 verse 6, it says, then, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, right? This man is begging outside the temple. His hand is out. His, he's wanting... Uh, the way most beggars do, are wanting a little money so they can, they can get something to eat. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So Paul's he healing in many ways mirrors that of Peter's. But I want to take a further look. I want to camp out on a, on, a, on a topic real quick that I think is important. We've never quite addressed this, and so I want to address it briefly, and that is the issue of faith healing. I don't know if you know that term or not. Let's look at the passage a little bit closely. It says, The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. So, so the man is listening to Paul preach. And at a certain point in the message, Paul perceived that this man came to a place of faith. He could, he could see it in his countenance. Okay, and, and you know, this, when you're preaching, you walk around the room, and you're making eye contact with people, and you can't help it. But you engage people at kind of an emotive level. You make eye contact with people. And, and I can generally tell when people are, are full of faith as they listen to the preaching. And, and sometimes I can tell when people are like, don't give a crap. Um, and they're not interested in, in, in what we're learning in the Bible. And that's cool, right? I'm not mad about any about that. But you, can, but you can kind of see that happening in the audience. And so Paul is engaging this guy, making eye contact with him. And he's perceiving that this man has faith. Now, it says, he said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and, and he leaped and walked. And so, 
he saw this man had faith, so he chose him to heal. Now, for a long time, this verse has been a scapegoat passage for televangelists, for faith healers, and for Pentecostals engaged in healing ministries. All right? Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to get a little controversial, so you're going to have to bear with me here. In healing services, it's common if someone isn't healed. I don't know if you, have you ever seen these? Just do a little bit. Of, maybe don't get on YouTube and do this, but, <laughs> but if, if I'm, you know, if your curiosity is being itched right now, uh, you can get online and you can watch he- healing services. Um, I have a dear friend that I grew up with who's a pastor in a Pentecostal church, and uh, they are excited about posting when the Holy Spirit breaks out and they have sporadic healing services and and the Spirit is moving, and, and, and they're, doing, they're doing acts. Uh, they're doing what they believe to be signs and wonders. And, I, and I've watched these and, and just contemplated, just in curiosity uh, about what about what I'm seeing is biblical. You understand? Because what we're doing is, is everything that we do in ministry, because we have an in-sample, we have to recognize that we're not doing anything new. And if it's new, it's potentially dangerous. You understand? And so we've got to be aware of, of things that are happening in our world spiritually so that we know how to address it from a biblical perspective. And, and so in these healing services, if someone is not healed, oftentimes what will be said to them is that you didn't have the faith to be healed. In other words, the, the healer, the person who has the gift of healing, will say, well, I, I wanted to heal you, Okay? And the assumption will be that they had the power to heal. But because the person's faith wasn't great enough, they couldn't be healed. In other words, yeah, that's on, that's on you, bro. Right? And, and so, <clears throat> whether it's a, a, you know, a back that has pain, or leg pain, or toothaches, all kinds of healing services for all different kinds of things, people's issues of all sorts, Sometimes people will be audacious enough to, to say that they can heal cancer, right? And, uh, but inevitably, if someone isn't healed, it's, the conversation gets turned, well, it's, it's your lack of faith that's prevented that. And I want to say this, like, and I think this is important, it's, this is on my mind, because I was actually at um, uh, one of the Kaya events, and I, and I met a young lady who told me she had a conversation. I don't know who she had the conversation with, but, um, but be, she has, she'd been really ill, and someone, it might have even been a visitor, I don't think it would have been someone from Kaya, but someone suggested to her that, that maybe her faith was lacking because she hadn't, she hadn't recovered from this illness. And so I think it is important for us to address and consider that, that in our world today, that this is, not, this is not some sort of antiquated like phenomenon of the 80s, like when televangelism was huge and... And those, those, you know, those uh, Pentecostals kind of ran the Christian airwaves. This is something that takes place in our world today. And people are s- suggesting that they have apostolic gifts. Okay? Apostolic gifts. And they say, they suggest that they have the power to heal people. Well, until that doesn't work. And I want to say that, that this is, using this passage to abuse doctrine is absurd. And I want, to, I want to give you a couple evidences for why that is. Are you ready? I'm going to give you, this is, this is study here. We're studying here. Okay? And I hope it's inspiring. I want you to understand this very clearly. In Mark chapter 6, verse 5, 
Jesus healed when there was not faith. Jesus chose to heal when there was a lack of faith present. He chose to heal anyway. Okay, in other words, Jesus does what he wants to do. And so we can, we can know that when we come together and we pray for illness, for those, I mean, we have lots of friends right now who have cancer. And we have the ability to pray to ask God to heal those people because he has the power to do that. Our faith is in him and not in some man or some sort of expectation, right? Our faith is in him and whether he heals them or not is contingent on whether or not it is within his plan and will to do so. And we can trust him for that. And so Jesus heals in places where the faith was lacking. In Mark chapter 9, at Tuesday night prayer, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. In Mark chapter 9, the man who wants his son to be healed acknowledges his inability to believe. In other words, he's saying, my faith is really small right now, but I'm asking you help. And Jesus chooses to heal despite this man's small faith. I uh, was having a conversation with Chris Best this last week uh, about this topic. And he told me a story. He told me it was okay if I, if I, if I told it to you. So uh, apparently, Christine, his wife's uncle, um, comes from a, from a Pentecostal background. And um, had struggled for a long time with epileptic seizures, right? Braden, you know, you know this story, right? Um, uh, and I think Andrew's probably in here too. I don't see him. I usually can see his beard. Oh, he's on the ground. His beard usually... I see you back there, Andrew. Um, so, so their uncles uh, struggle with these epilep- epileptics... I can't even say it. I need a doctor. Connor, can you say it for me? Epileptic seizures? Epilep- Epsilon. Epsilon. <laughs> like that? Is that it? Okay. <clears throat> Is that it? Um, so in other words... He, he was having these, these seizures uh, regularly, and so they got him on pr- some prescription that helped the, the seizures to subside and to be less uh, you know, ha- harsh on his body. And him and his pastor were having a conversation one day, and his pastor said this very thing that we're talking about. Uh, the reason that you're struggling with this is because of lack of faith. And God would heal you if you would simply, ha- if you would simply have faith and and, and you, that means you need to come off the prescription because the prescription represents your lack of faith. Okay? And so he came off the prescription. And the seizures were getting worse, and the conversation remained the same. The family said to themselves, well, we need to have more faith. We need to have more faith. We need to have more faith. And um, as the, the seizures continued on, um, he came into what's, again, I'm not going to know how to say it, but it's like a constant status uh, seizure. In other words, he fell into a seizure that didn't lift. Like he was stuck in a seizure and then he eventually died. And so what would be suggested is that you died because you lacked faith. That's what would be suggested. Now all of us are pricked by that story. okay? And it hurts us to hear that kind of thing. And we think logically that that seems absurd. But it's not absurd until it's absurd doctrinally. You understand? And, and, and so what I want to point out to you is that we ought not have faith in faith. Because when we have faith in faith, that's superstition. 
Faith in the abstract idea of faith. Uh, using faith to worship the idea of faith is not sufficient for Christian living, and it only produces... So in other words, what in this case, the man found himself doing works, right? Removing himself off the prescription, doing works in response to the idea of faith. And it's this vicious cycle that people can get trapped in, and it's just, it's a form of religiosity that, focus, that, that, that distracts our focus from having our faith in the words of Jesus Christ. In other words, we ask ourselves, well, what should we have our faith in? Well, you can, you can fall prey to the idea of having faith in faith or you can simply choose to believe Jesus, and then whatever the outcome is, you know that it's of Him. And you can have absolute peace. Is it, does this, are you bearing witness with this? Does it make sense? So we ought to put our faith in Christ. And that's called surrender. And no matter what the outcome of your life, no matter what trials come, regardless of your lot, you're going to have peace to accept the work and the will of God. And so I want to point out one thing in this key point. I just want this to be clear. And this seems really simple. Again, <clears throat> the healing of the soul is greater than the healing of the body. The healing of the soul is greater than the healing of the body. And sometimes, because we live life in these bodies, and these bodies demand our attention constantly, don't they? I mean... I've got tendonitis right now, and I'm trying to work out through it, and you guys don't care. I always hated when Sam used to tell old man stories. I'm like, oh, great, here's another old man. And here I am telling old man stories. So, I, you know, I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to stay in shape, and I've got a little tendonitis, and it bothers me. It bothers me. I can hear my elbow crunching a lot, which is, like, gross, right? Like, I'll pick up my daughter, and I just, it's just like, like, it's not supposed to do that. <clears throat> but our body demands our attention constantly. Because it freaking hates you. Your body hates you. Your body, you don't get this yet, but the instant you hit about 25, you know your body is on the trajectory towards death, right? It's slowly, de it's slowly decaying. It begins the process of decay. And it's because, it's because regardless of the fact that God will one day redeem your body, Christian, you're still encased in this earthly vessel and your, your primary objective in life is from a place of a strong inner man, a, a, a place of faith. You dictate to your flesh what it ought to do in terms of behavior. In other words, my body doesn't get to tell me who I am and what I get to do. I don't get to be consumed with the way that I look or the way, and I, I don't get to think about my pain. I don't get to be consumed with those thoughts. I don't get, you know, uh, all of the desires that the flesh brings they don't get to dictate to my inner man. My inner man dictates to it. And in so doing, I can live a life with my body that is glorifying to God. But the problem is, is so many times we're so busy thinking about our flesh that we forget that there's a greater work to be done. And so here's, here's the deal. I, I just want to point this out. If you ever take time to sit with the Lord in prayer... Now, there, now, there's all types of prayers for all types of seasons. But, and we talked about this just recently. But, but if, 
if your prayer life is consumed with fleshly objectives and they're not about souls and it's not about and your prayer life isn't about deeper spiritual truths then there's something the matter with your faith probably and you might be selfish now this man never asked to be healed he never asked to be healed he was not even thinking about his flesh in this moment. What, is, what does the passage say? What's it say? When Paul looked upon him, he perceived that he had faith. Faith in what? Paul was in the middle of preaching. He was preaching the words of God. The man came to faith in the words of God. In other words, his faith wasn't in, I wonder whether or not Paul's going to heal me. He was sitting in the front row, steadfastly listening, locked into the words of God, and he believed on the gospel. That's where his faith lied. And it just so happens that it was an apostle that was preaching. And it just so happens that in this time period in the world, when the gospel was just a budding work, a beginning work, that God used apostles to do things like lay hands on people and heal them. And he was a benefactor of that work. And I think that that's what we have to understand. That's what is so powerful in this story is the man was more interested in the redemption of his soul than the redemption of his body. Now to focus back onto the story, I want to point out <clears throat> that this man had a saving faith, but the healing work was done as a sign. It was a sign for the people. So he had a saving faith, but Paul had a healing power. And he knew that if he healed this man, that it would create a stir and it would be a sign exactly what he needed it to be to help the gospel message be propelled even further. That's what, that was what was going on here. Now we see, I wanna, I wanna, this is good, this is good for us doctrinally. Is it a thousand degrees in here, by the way? It's super hot. Yeah, I'm sweating. Okay. All right. So listen. I want you to understand that these gifts subside. These healing gifts, they subside. And in fact, as we read the New Testament, as we go through the Pauline epistles, as we look at the letters that Paul's writing, he's never talking about these gifts, hardly ever. Hardly ever. And one of the, the rare mentions of these, of, of these apostolic gifts, the speaking in tongues, the prophecies, the healings that were taking place, one of the rare times that it's mentioned is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, when he says, Charity never faileth, right? Love, love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. They will, they will fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, what's important to understand here, and this is what people often say, is that, well, what is that which is perfect? Well, again, the pat Christian answer would be what? Jesus is perfect, right? So when that which is perfect, when the return of Jesus Christ comes, then, then these gifts will be done away with. So we know at the second advent, at the time Jesus Christ comes back and, and, and returns and, and claims what belongs to him, these gifts will cease. And that's, and that's, people use that as a justification to continue practicing apostolic gifts. This is teaching today. I'm teaching you, Okay. But there's another thing that's perfect. What's the other thing that's perfect in the world today? Okay, so here's the Word of God. 
It is perfect in every regard. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Now, here's the question to you. If we're trying to figure out that which is perfect shall come, which thing came first, the word of God or the return of Jesus Christ? Okay, so when we read, when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that which is perfect has come. We have, we have a complete gospel message. And what that means is, I don't need to rely on healing gifts to prove to my brothers and sisters that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, and that he can heal you in every way. I don't need special gifts to do that because I have the completed word of God. That which is perfect has come. And another thing which is perfect will come. Right? We, we acknowledge that. But this is the thing that happened to come first. Now, you remember there was a moment in Acts where, where everyone was very, very convinced that Jesus Christ was going to come back before the completion of the word. There was a moment in which people... So, so that was on the table, you understand? But we now know in 2020, that we've got a completed word of God. That which is perfect has come to us. And we put our faith in the knowledge that it brings into our lives. And we don't have to trust in people's claims that they can heal. We can be- Again, we don't need to have faith in faith or in some sort of activity or wondrous work or marvelous thing or ex- excitement, excitement and ecstatic you know, praise and worship and fuzzy feelings. And essentially what we're talking about is can you conjure up enough emotion? And if you conjure up enough emotion, that's faith. No, 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 no. See, I can have faith when I don't feel anything. I don't have to feel anything to say, I'm at my lowest point and I don't have an answer. But you do. And I believe in that which is perfect for me. And I will trust it. And I will believe it. And just as a side note, as Paul's ministry continued on, you, you recognize that he couldn't heal people. Like, like he healed this man, but as time passed, the gifts started lifting, and he wasn't healing. Okay, so you want some examples. All right, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Paul talks about the fact that he can't even heal himself. Not for lack of faith, because he did have faith, didn't he? That was what those prayers were about. He prayed thrice. That's what those prayers were about, was because he had faith. It wasn't about, wasn't about faith. He didn't lack faith. Just like I don't believe that Braden's uncle lacked faith, his faith was just misguided, right? Paul had faith in, in the Lord, and he wasn't healed. It was his thorn in the flesh. He had to live with it. We also read about Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 27, who was sick unto death in the presence of Paul, and yet Paul couldn't heal him. And the illness had to run its natural course. Now God spared him in his mercy because God's the healer, not Paul. And in time, Epaphroditus was healed. But it wasn't the laying on of hands and it wasn't the healing work of Paul that did that. You understand? Or what about the illness that, that Paul's dear son Timothy had. Remember, Timothy was having upset tummy. Okay? His guts hurt. I don't, I don't know the details of it. Irritable bowel, I don't know. Right? That Mediterranean food is harsh on your digestive tract. I don't know. He was, we know that he was a bit of a nervous wreck at times, so maybe his nerves bothered him. I don't know. But his, he'd have an upset stomach, and, and Paul told, advised him to use medicinal treatment. 
Because he couldn't heal even his own spiritual son. If there was going to be anybody on earth that he would heal, certainly it would be Timothy, wouldn't it? And yet he didn't. And why, why might that be? Well, maybe it's because they were actually waiting on that which is perfect. And that sickness and illness and trial and difficulty is actually just intended to work a perfect, God's perfect will in our life, and we can trust him through that. Is this, is this making sense to everyone? So with that said, God does still heal. And he heals most actively in the midst of praying saints. James chapter 5. So you ought to keep that in mind. You want to activate God's healing work, you should probably start with faith and prayer. And then prayer also lets you let go. You can let go there. And that's a good thing too. You want to continue on with the story? What are we working with here? Yep, we got time. Let's do it. (laughs) Verse 11. Now this is where it gets real crazy. I mean, you thought what we just talked about was crazy. Okay, this is where it gets real crazy. And when the people saw that, uh, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, or Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. Um, Mercury or, or, or Hermes was uh, the messenger god, right? So Paul was the messenger god in their mind. Because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Oh my gosh. Right? (laughs) So these dudes are preaching. They heal this guy. No big deal. They're doing ministry. They're trying to disciple. You know, the, the day's moving on. All the while, in the background, the pagan worshipers are gathering together and they're planning a parade. Right? They're like, they're like over here in the corner like, guys, there's something up with these, with these dudes. And they all came to agreement that these were gods come to earth. And they, they, they formed a team, a worship team, to make sacrifice to them. And I don't think this is a, a response that Paul and Barnabas expected. Because here's the deal. Up to this point, they had mainly ministered in places that were monotheistic in nature. And so the disagreement was usually a a Jewish disagreement. But the thing about Lystra was that it was primarily Gentile people. We don't really have any uh, information about a Jewish synagogue being there or or a a temple to, to, to the biblical God. This was a Gentile city, and they were doing Gentile stuff. And they were worshiping Gentile gods. And I don't think they anticipated what was about to go down. Right? But these people were going to worship them. The, the people were amazed by what had been done. And they expected. Let me, okay, you want a side note? Okay, this, this is going to freak you out. I'll let you study it on your own. Go to LFBI. Okay? <laughs> but listen to me. These people believed the gods were coming back. Revelation 13 says that the gods are coming back. Okay? They're coming back. These, these idols of theirs, the, the Mercuries and the Saturns and the Jupiters and the Zeuses and the... Listen to me. There are beings. There are sons of God. There are fallen angels that are coming. 
And so the anticipation of their return is not actually that far off. I won't be here to see any of that, but, uh, but we need to know that it's a thing. That's a different message. We won't preach that. But listen, these men were convinced, but they, they, they were convinced by the miracles, which is what they wanted, right? They wanted the miracles to be convincing, but they were convinced to the wrong conclusion. These men were convinced not by the message of the gospel, but by the impressiveness of Paul's work. They weren't convinced to worship God, but worship men instead. Now here's my point. Christians must resist accolades. This is a danger for the minister of God that people would follow you rather than God. And so you, it might not look just like this story, right? But what I'm saying is that there is a danger that when we minister to people, leaders especially, I'm talking to you, that when we minister to people, that people would follow us rather than God. And let me just put it this way. You know, over the, over the last six months, we've lost several people to the world. People that were considered leaders in this ministry. And the, and the difficulty is that, that they discipled people. They invested in people. And people were following them. And people trusted in them, right, as a, reliant, as a person they can rely on to guide them in their relationship with God. See, so what happens is when the rug gets pulled out from underneath them, when that person steps away from the faith, when that person chooses to fall into sin, what happens to the people that they're leading? Now, if that person was only just ever following that other person, well, then it creates more disaster, doesn't it? There's a wake of destruction. But here's the deal, and I need every discipler to understand this. You're not actually discipling anyone. Like personally, individually, you, they're not your disciple. Oh, my disciple, my disciple, my disciple. Okay, okay, sure, 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 sure. We get that. We know what that means. But listen to me. They're following Jesus Christ. They are a disciple of Jesus Christ. No differently than Peter or Paul. They follow Jesus. And with that knowledge, no matter what happens, no matter if, if men fail, uh, fail in their flesh or fall away, we can always just turn to the Lord. We can always just know our, our responsibility is to Jesus, not to any man. But you know, the tough thing is that day to day, we can often find ourselves in a place of pride, especially if we're leading people, motivating people, provoking people, we see that God's using us, sometimes we can forget that it's all about God. We can forget. And, and we, can re, we can retain or keep some of the worship that's intended for God. We can hold it back. All right, you guys ready for some missionary quotes? Andrew Murray was a missionary from Scotland to uh, South Africa uh, in, the, in the early uh, 20th century. Uh, I think 1890s through the early, you know 19 late 1920s or something like that. He was in South Africa uh, preaching the gospel. Here's some things that he had to say: Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride must die in you, or nothing, nothing of heaven can live in you. That's really powerful. So in other words, the more pride you hold on to, the less 
heaven is manifest in your life. The less the will of God is manifest in your life. I've got a few quotes from him, if you don't mind, before we close out here. Andrew Murray also says, Here is the path to the higher life. Down. Lower down. Just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds men abased and empty, His glory and power flow, uh, flow in to exalt and to bless. He says here lastly, Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. You know, King Agrippa didn't understand that in Acts chapter 12. Remember that? And what did God do to King Agrippa? You guys don't remember. You don't remember nothing, do you? What do you do? Kill, kill, yeah, you guys are using, some of you are using the, the biblical word, smote. Good, that's exactly what it says. He was smote. He was smote. Because he, he kept, they, the people said, he's like a god. Look at it, look at how he's arrayed. Look at his power, look at his majesty. He's such a great orator, he's a, such a great speaker. And the people said, he's a god. And he took that glory and he received it. And God killed him right there. <laughs> and we learned from that. This was the key point from that. God does not tolerate any threat to his glory. That was what we learned in that message. But I want to I go a little further. Here's another key point. We've got we to remember, what is our motivation? What is our motivation? Motivations always keep you in check. Key point. Our primary concern is the worship of God. So, because of that, we defer all personal elevation to the Godhead. Our primary concern is the worship of God, so we defer all personal elevation to the Godhead. Why is this such a big deal, Brandon? Why is this a big deal? Because you know what? When you do ministry, people are going to tell you, good job. They're going to say, man, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness. You did such an awesome job on this project or that ministry thing. You did such a good job. I want to say something. There's nothing wrong with saying thank you. Thank you. Except if you exclude the glory of God. And we ought to be in the habit, we ought to be in the practice of deflecting up. We should be transferring any sort of glory that's in our midst. In Kaya, we don't, who are we? Who are we? Oh, people say things like, oh, man, Kaya's the engine, is the, the, the fuel for our church, and it's so exciting the young, what the young people are doing. Now listen to me. We're not doing anything that we're not supposed to be doing. I, I, I remember Paul saying something like reasonable service. And if something is reasonable, then we ought not take the glory for what's reasonable. That's called pride. And so you can say, thank you. But you can also transfer that glory upward and say, praise the Lord God on high, who empowers me to do anything good. It is but by his love and sovereign hand that I can do anything with my life, that I'm not just a heaping mess of trash. It's, it's, he's the only, he is my breath. He is my life. If I do anything that's good at all, it's because he, he has motivated me in my inner man to speak or to do or to serve or to lay down my life. It is but reasonable. And so I will not retain any of that glory for myself, but I will defer it upwards. Look how important that was to Paul and Barnabas, and this is where we'll stop. Verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes. When they heard that the people were getting ready to make sacrifices to them, 
they tore their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sir, why, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you. They're horrified. They're disgusted by the prospect to the point where they're tearing their clothes and they're falling among the people and they're crying out, what are you doing, what are you doing? This is worship that's reserved for God alone. And we need to understand the, the severity of, of idolatry in our world. Even idolatry, moments of idolatry in our ministry. Are there secret moments of idolatry in our ministry where we worship people? No leader, missionary, or pastor is any greater or of any more importance than any other person that they serve. We are all equal. We are all equal in God's eyes. Right? And we have to remember that. We have to stay low. And we have to trust the Lord. Now, I didn't get through everything I wanted to get through today, but that's cool. That's all right. As we do invitation, as we go into worship, listen to me. I know. When it's hot like this, you can lose focus real easy. But listen to me. Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. Ask yourself a question, okay? Where is my faith? Where is my faith directed? Some of us are a little bit superstitious and we don't know it. We haven't really thought about it. We hadn't considered it. We thought faith was faith was faith was faith. But faith, if faith that isn't in the, the Word, okay, because we know that Jesus Christ is the Word, right? He's the Word. He's the living Word. He's the written Word to us, right? This is His mind for us. If our faith is in anything besides this, we're in trouble. It's misplaced. What about, what about in terms of the things that you honor? Or what kind of honor you're willing to receive? Be careful about the honor you're willing to, to receive because you'll find yourself making excuse to retain it and believe that you're more than you really are. And we need to work through that today in prayer. Is that cool? Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you, I worship you, I adore you. And uh, Lord, I know that in this room uh, there are people that are dealing with all kinds of stuff. And maybe, maybe all of the stuff that I preached today went, went over their head or went right past them or it didn't seem relevant. I don't know. Uh, that's not really my job to worry about, I suppose. But, but I do want to pray to you and ask, Lord, that, that people would walk away from a message like this and recognize just how glorious you are, how powerful you are, how patient you are. I mean, we didn't get into it, but Paul's about to, to articulate how patient a God you are, that even when these heathen worshipped false idols, that God waited patiently for them. And we're just like that. We worship so many false things, and we are so easily distracted by our flesh and our feelings and our objectives that we completely forget or neglect you. And when we want to have faith, we don't even know how to have it. We just say we have faith. We just say we believe. We We have our own truths. And it's, it's incredible how misplaced, because we have our own truths, how misplaced our faith can be. God, forgive us of our truths. We want your truth. 
And so, Lord, in this room today, I would pray that people would find your truth, that they would turn to your word, and they would recognize that you're worth worshiping. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for them, and he deserves their worship. Help them to see that this morning. Help me to see it. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.